Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. We have been in this study of the book of Amos, this Old Testament prophet, this, this angry prophet who's been, who has said all kinds of really hard, judgy things about God's people. And as we've been going through this book, we've made a number of observations about how God feels about the city. This is, a, this is, in many ways, a city series. We saw, for example, like, God actually sees. He actually sees what's going on in cities. And as, as, as busy as God is, and as important as the things are that, that God, you know, has to worry about, he sees, and he actually really cares what's going on in the cities. He sees, for example, when, like, rich, privileged people are, like, just kind of lounging around and, you know, sipping on gin and juice and doing nothing, like not lifting a finger about the poverty and the suffering of the, their neighbors. Like he actually really cares about that. He sees it and he cares. And he cares about it when like there are, you know, shopkeepers who, who in their business practices are dishonest and corrupt and, and, and greedy. And we saw that. He sees it and he cares about it. And, and we saw that like, as, as we've been going along, one of the things we've been kind of repeating is that like, if God's people aren't committed to justice in the city, then we, there won't be peace. That's why we've called this series, No Justice, No Peace. Amos speaks to the city. It's, that, it's not just like a sort of the cry of a, of, a, of a protest. It's not just what we say when we're marching. It's actually like deeply, even theologically true that like to the degree that we're committed to doing justice in the city, to that degree we can expect peace. And if we're not... If we're not pursuing justice, if, we're, if we don't care about justice, if we're not praying for it, neither should we expect there to be peace in our, in our lives and in our cities. Because the book ends on this really hopeful uh, sort of tone where God's prophet promises that, like, there's going to be this great restoration, the people will return from exile, some really great things are going to happen, and that's really great. That's kind of a refreshing, kind of a different note from how a lot of the book has gone we wanted to take this morning and end this series by just kind of acknowledging and celebrating some of the things that are going on in different cities. And so for that reason, I've invited my friend Trevor Seath to come and visit us this morning. So I'll invite you to come up, Trevor. And if you don't know, or if you've not met Trevor before, Trevor is uh, not just, Trevor's not just a friend of mine, but Trevor and I, we met about, I think, six years ago. And uh, at a time when my wife Heather and I, we were kind of like, we were just sort of discerning that, like, God was tapping us on the shoulder to do this thing that would become Benediction Church. We just really felt like this kind of stirring, and some of the people at the church where we were serving and some of the people in our denomination, the Associated Gospel Churches, connected us with Trevor, and it's become a really good, like, life-giving friendship, and I, I, I love this guy, but for somebody who doesn't know you, could you, I wonder, if, could you just get us started by telling us what it is you do? Like, what's, what is your role w with regard to church plants and, and stuff? So, um, C2C Collective, uh, we take our name from a verse that's significant in Canada. We're called the Dominion of Canada because of this verse, um, Psalm 72, verse 8. It's inscribed on the Peace Tower in Ottawa. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And so, there's a lot in that including a story of colonization, but regardless, the prayer to say, Jesus, would you have your way in Canada? 
our prayer comes out of that. And so we work with different denominations across the country right now, about 23 different denominations. I didn't know some of the denominations that we currently work with even existed. There are a lot of denominations, but we work with 23 of them and about 60 church planting projects right now. And what we do is often just what you described. We come across an individual, um, often a married couple, who are saying, we think God is calling us to start a new church. And so we help with discernment. Um, and uh, that's a pretty robust uh, process that ends with a pretty formal assessment center that we um, offer to help people just figure out who they are and how God's gifted them, and then we, out of that, uh, we walk with people as coaches. We have some training curriculum that we do. People are familiar with Tim Keller at all. We use training that comes from his church in New York City, and, uh, and then we just try to support in a lot of other ways, which sometimes means a little bit of financial help, uh, sometimes help helping people just administratively and with governance stuff and yeah so we just try to walk alongside that's what we do and so trevor and the c2c organization have been super helpful for us like it wouldn't be an overstatement to say we wouldn't be here without you because of some of the help that you provided for us as a church getting going but even just like in in kind of coaching heather and i as a couple and so um yeah, like we're super grateful for that. And I'm really Thanks, excited man. that you and I can have this chat today because mm -hmm. you have a different perspective on kind of like what, what is going on in, in, not just in Hamilton, but into a number of other cities and denominations across the country. And so we want to kind of tap into that a little bit today. So we've been in this series of in Amos, we've been talking a lot about cities. Because of your sort of perspective, it'd be interesting to hear from you. Like, why do you think that cities matter? Um, great question, Mike. Um, so I, I was thinking about uh, a little bit in relation to this, the, the, just the biblical um, arc. And I will say, um, for those of you who like podcasts, there's uh, a podcast called How to Reach the West Again. And all of season two of that podcast is um, developing around cities and, cool. and, and ministry in cities. But um, so forgive me if you start listening to that podcast and you're like he ripped that podcast off a lot it's just it's in my head like i'm not trying to be a plagiarist but um it's but not what, plagiarism if you say that but you know like you think of, of cities like sodom in genesis not very favorable view of the city um babylon right that was a, a city building let's build a huge tower you know when you see skyscrapers you like okay um not very favorable then into then as god promises land and we had the promise of return and blessing in amos this morning but you know jerusalem becomes this more positive place there's this sense of god's presence in the city and um and so it's a little bit mixed because there's even even then when they go into captivity if you uh, know a bit of that arc they go to babylon and in jeremiah 29 it's like seek the peace of the city, pursue the prosperity of the city. So even even God's people in captivity are called to have uh, a different kind of view of the city. Um, Paul, who started a lot of the churches after Jesus' resurrection, um, focused on cities, and really his whole ministry trajectory was: I want to get to Rome, I want to get to the center of the culture, and I want to bring the gospel there. And um, 
And so you have this sort of redeeming of cities in the New Testament. And, and then, of course, the final vision is the city of God that, you know, the new Jerusalem comes and God's dwelling is with men and, and with women and he's here with us. And it's in the context of a city. And maybe the simplest thing is in Jonah, at the end of Jonah, Jonah's all bent out of shape and God says, Jonah, Here's this city. It has 120,000 people in it who do not know, he says, their right hand from their left. They, they're so lost. Shouldn't I care about the city? So I think that that's maybe the, the verse that, you know, just clenches it is that cities are full of people and people are made in the image of God. Um, I had a conversation. I lived in Toronto and I met a woman on one occasion, a denominational executive. Know, where are you from Toronto? She goes, Oh, my husband and I hate Toronto. Okay, <laughs> you're like, Thanks, you know, but why? Wow. It's usually about traffic and stuff like that. But um, we should love cities because they're full of people and people matter a lot. That's why we should love them. And one of the things that I'm excited about, just, just keep riffing here, is uh, like. I think outside of cities, it's a little bit more natural to focus the life of the church around the programs that the church is doing. Uh, the church becomes kind of a center of life. You say, hey, don't forget to come back. Like I grew up in a suburban church. Don't forget to come back tonight, once Sunday night, we're going to have another service. Then come back on Wednesday, we're going to do something then. Then come back on Friday because we're going to do something. And then on Saturday, we've got this other thing. And then, you know, come back in some way. So our lives orbited around church programs. And cities force us to say, that's not going to happen. Like if people are working 60 hours a week, whatever they're doing, and, uh, and our lives are full, because city life is full, we have to figure out a way to actually send people out to encourage them, strengthen them, and say, your work as a school teacher matters. Your work as in, in social services matters, your work as an entrepreneur matters, your work in the hospital matters, you know, your your presence as a neighbor in your community matters. And that's where discipleship is. Don't just come back in here. I live this very sort of two personalities. I was one kid on the street, fitting in on my street. I was another kid in this church. And I did very well at both. Fit in very well as a little kid in church. And I fit in very well on the street, but that was a total different set of skills. And cities force us to say, we can't do that. We want to just create nice little church people. We want to tell Trevor, as a 10-year-old kid, how can you be a great Christian on your street with your kids who are never with your neighbor friends? And I had a bunch of them. They're not likely going to show up with you all the time. So let's make Sunday about strengthening you so that when you're playing road hockey and when you're when you're just messing around with your friends on the street, you're doing that as a disciple of Jesus. As cities are great. Yeah. So another question here. When when your heart gets disturbing, you have a number of go-to stories that kind of keep you encouraged. Like so that on those days, you can say that no matter how hard things, I know that I saw this happen. Uh, we'd love to just hear some of those stories. Yeah, well, I, I thought of this. Like, I, my answer to you at first was like, I got a lot of these. Like, um, 
that are really encouraging to me. It's funny how stories work. Oftentimes you don't think of them and then something prompts you you remember a story in your past, that kind of thing. So, but the story that, that I thought of and that I think of often is not connected specifically to church planting that I want to share with you because it's been gone. And um, so my wife um, traveled in Africa in 2011 with her sister who was working for a development agency at the time. And when she was there in Malawi, um, she traveled to the north of the country and particularly had an encounter with a woman named Maria who was HIV positive, had lost one of her children, her husband had abandoned her. Um, she was taking care of her three remaining kids and she sent back video of where Maria was living and it was just unbelievable how uh, sad she had built for herself the best shelter she could with garbage bags and sticks and mud and it was not a good situation. And so Julie came back just like, we have to do something, just passionate about this. And so as a result, as a family, we traveled there, uh, we raised some money to build a house um, for Maria through a Malawian NGO. And uh, but we took our four kids and we traveled there and we spent about three weeks and and it was quite organized they you know they had a program for families like us who come from other parts of the world like come here see that do this sort of thing so we were getting exposed to things and we went to the weirdest event maybe the weirdest event i've ever attended there were like it was a youth event and there were some like really bad off-color jokes told at this event from the front like kids would just get up and tell their best jokes really like and meanwhile, there were these beautiful moments of worship and prayer. It was like, wow. And then at the end, they said, and we have, you know, here from Canada, we have brother and he would come now. And so I came up and they asked me to pray. And I prayed. Later that day, I was shopping uh, for dinner. And a, a young man named Shadrach came up to me. And he said, Trevor, you have to come. Because I know a man who's just like you. He's also a white man, he's a Zulu like you, and he loves God's word. You have to come to my house, we have a Bible study. So I went to the house that night, and it was in Blessings Hall, and so Shadrach was there, Blessings was there, Mahalo was there. There was no electricity, there was no running water. Um, Blessings was living in sort of an outbuilding behind someone else's house. And the flashlights were hung from the roof of his little building, so that there was light, and Matt, from Wales, and we, we studied our Wales. And um, it was beautiful. And I was so thankful that Shadrach had invited me. It was one of the most poignant, like, wow, this is real. This is just such an incredible ministry around God's word together. And um, as of that trip was ending, um, I had gotten to know Blessings better, and Lumbo better, and Shadrach better, but Matt especially was kind of helping me think through, like, how do you as a Canadian late in this environment and uh, build good friendships and that sort of thing. So when we're leaving the country, my wife and I wanted some counsel from Matt because we wanted to do some ongoing things. We wanted to say like, if there's a way to help pay school fees for some kids to stay in secondary school, we'd love to do that. We want to do it wisely. He introduced us to this beautiful Christian couple, Daniel and Jean. Fast forward a couple of years. Things have developed. Julie's like passionate about doing more in Malawi. We've gone to know Daniel better. And what happened in 2015 is that Daniel started in his own NGO in Malawi, 
uh, called the Development Partners. His name is Julie Sarnsani here in Canada, Colorado Village. And I do have an notes here because I want to just say a little bit of what's happened out of that. This is lost. Okay, we're good. Okay. So we were just taking stock the other day of what's happened out of the relationship between Daniel and the Development Partners in Malawi and Julie of the village here in Canada. Two homes, um, not including the one that was built for Oria, two homes um, for vulnerable families, a cooperative building to start a large-scale farmer's cooperative with hundreds of farmers participating, hundreds of household water filters distributed with training, um, nine shallow wells dug, six deep water pools rehabilitated, 16 deep water pools dug. Each of those is about 10,000 budget. Um, Hundreds of iron sheets distributed to replace thatched roofing. Like thatched roofing is a problem because it can catch on fire and, and also doesn't keep water in that well. Dozens of toilets dug for schools, elderly, disabled community members, hundreds educated in better hygiene practices, hundreds of chickens, goats, rabbits, and pigs gifted through an animal breeding program, hundreds of farmers trained through conservation agriculture, and on and on goes. Um, there's more. And the point of that is to say, I went to a really weird event in 2012. And some guy saw me there and walked up to me and showed me hospitality and said, you have to come to my home. And I went there and met another guy who introduced us to another guy. And all I'm saying is, that was a all of that. Was and what was so simple, just this guy shadowing, um, Walking up to me while I'm shocked and saying, You have to come to this Bible study. That was the Lord because God saw the end of that in the beginning. In 2018, Shadrach was killed in a car incident. Uh, Matt, who had returned to Wales, came back for the funeral for Shadrach. And it was to me, it just impressed upon me. God was in all of that. God had all that stuff that, that, I, that we celebrate these years later, seven years later after Love Village started to say, wow, thank you, Lord, that you knit people together. So applying that to church planting and housing, it's like God's doing that all the time, connecting people, connecting passion, stirring prayer, building relationships, knitting together a new fabric of relationship and prayer and support and encouragement so that amazing things can happen. And at any given moment in that journey, it never feel it never felt like incredible stuff was happening. It was only when we stopped and said, "So, how many boreholes have been dug? Like, people actually have been trained." And it was like, you know, so similar with starting the church. It's little connections, it's conversations, it's prayer, it's it's just stepping forward in faith. And the same is true in the workplace, the same is true in the neighborhood, the same is true in elementary school. But God's not again, which is family. So uh, John Ruby ruined his life, um, totally destroyed his life, uh, addicted to uh, cocaine and alcohol. Um, and just came to that time of reform. Business and, and just turning um, his whole life over to Jesus. And um, he had been raised actually by missionary parents. And um, 
how John ended up in this rehab thing in Ottawa called Jericho Road. And that's where he got clean and God restored um, John Bickle's marriage, which is just we hear what she had to endure. It's unbelievable they're still together. But they have this beautiful marriage now. And out of that, John ended up uh, ultimately with a job at Jericho Road running the uh, also bed. I think it's a 12 bed rehab home for men with big clean. And they started having this vision of like maybe maybe Jericho Road needs a church because these guys were like they're meeting Jesus and just beautiful stories of God redeeming lives. And they would go to a church in town and be like, this isn't it. I don't fit in. And people don't know what to do with me. So um, long story short, what came out of that is a church called Union City Church. And John started thinking, okay, the thing with the church is we need to do more than just like a place of worship and place of your personal relationship with Jesus. There's a lot of people who've lost their ability to work, um, very difficult to employ. And, you know, maybe we can do something that would actually be a bit of a social enterprise that would employ people. And so they start something called Carlington Bush. So Kombucha business, um, and and that's been developing. And so brewing this stuff, and God's provided like actually quite recently some really good kind of kitchen brewing equipment. Uh, they're distributing it to workplaces and other spots in the city, stores, and so on. Do a lot of farmers markets and that sort of thing. And that's been a place where some people got some work skills and and develop. In addition to that, they said, we need something that just like broadcasts out to anybody, people who will never show up on Sunday morning, but just broadcasts out to people that there's stories of hope. So they started this thing called Ashes to Rubies. Ruby, John and Mickey Ruby. So Ashes to Rubies. And there's, it's like a lifestyle brand now, you get t-shirts and hats. And, but what it is mostly is an arts night, about four times a year, people will gather and it's just like spoken word and stories and sometimes people paint a picture and sing a song, and just stories of recovery, 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 you know, and some of them are Christians, most of them are, but it's just like, there's hope. So they have this pulse in the city, ashes to rubies, like over and over again, four times a year, there's hope, there's hope. And then they have this social enterprise, we can help you, you know, you can, gain some work skills. Then they started this thing called Life Labs, which would be very similar to Celebrate Recovery or Freedom uh, Sessions, but it's just their take on like a 12-step type of program. And then during COVID, that exploded online. So it's this suite, it's this set of things, right? That it's like, it's a worshiping community. It's, it's a disciple-making community. It's a voice for hope in the city. It's a social enterprise that makes a meaningful impact. And it's an actual, I can, it's a discipleship program that's specifically tailored to a certain need of people who are addicted, not just to substances, but addicted to pornography, addicted to spending, whatever it is. And I, I think that's a beautiful justice story. Um, and I think it's also this sort of, it's just like this, um, what I would call the contextual awareness, like thinking about what do people really need? What would the church look like? Why is it that men who love Jesus and have had him work beautifully in their lives don't fit when they try to go into a church? Let's do something about that. So that's one. 
So well, this guy had been in Toronto. He was in the Taliban. And uh, he started deciding to himself, this can't be true. God, God can't be like this. I, he doesn't talk in detail about what he's experienced in Afghanistan, but I don't think it was, I think it was ugly. And he started thinking, this can't be God. So we went online and eventually we found a ministry in the U.S. that was designed to talk with people in closed countries like Afghanistan about Jesus. And he came to faith in Christ. He told his father-in-law he's already married to Toronto at the time, and he tells his father-in-law, I'm a Christian now, his father says, you have to, his father-in-law says, you have to get out of the country. You're going to get yourself killed talking like this. They fled to India. There's a pretty significant um, sort of non-status, like no legal status, Afghan community in India. There are Christians there. He was involved in starting churches there. And then he came to refugee to Canada. And what he's brought to churches in Toronto recently is saying there are Christian brothers and sisters gifted by God, called to lead in the church, who are living as refugees with no legal status in places like India and uh, Turkey. And, and we can, we, because of Canada's private sponsorship program for refugees, which is unique in the world, you can organize and help these families come and they can be used powerfully to reach out to Afghans here. And, um, and so he, he shared a couple of stories and some churches got together and said, yeah, we want to help Adeem and Khalida and their son Emmanuel come to Canada. Now, of course, then the Taliban takes over the country and there's a massive exodus of Afghans out of the country. And Obed's gone bananas and like just trying to help people and so that vision for church planting with leaders who are refugees is a beautiful vision. And the fact that it can happen is a lot about how cities work and how churches can collaborate. So there's, there's a number of churches doing that. And then another friend, Richard, in, um, in Ottawa, originally from Beirut, Arabic speaker, wants to help Syrian refugees when that was a huge wave. There was a particular high rise in the east end of Ottawa, full of the city was putting families there. And he started something called Hope Community, and he rallied churches around this vision to come and teach English and provide job skills and a parenting um, or a children's program concurrent with this. And, and so here's a guy, again, originally uh, Lebanon, um, just doing this amazing work and mobilizing churches that are more established in the city to do this. And um, when COVID hit, this church is called Arabic Bible Church, Ottawa. They started doing like prayer meetings every single night during this, in the early stages of COVID. It was like they're meeting, yeah, just praying, praying, praying. And I said to Richard, like, I'm so amazed by how energetically you've responded to this crisis because you're just like gone. For and he said, Trevor, I have pastored while bombs have been dropped on the city of Bay. This is nothing. This capacity to suffer, this capacity to endure um, is, is something we need desperately in Canada. And people like Obed, you know, who's fled um, Afghanistan, and people like Richard, has lived in the city, been bombed and pastored, have so much to teach us. Um, so those are a couple of them. Uh, 
And then the other one would be that just comes to mind. And I I shared it a little bit. It was David and Diana Hood started a church, and they discovered they were really close to a place called Russell Gardens. Russell Gardens is uh, community housing, and um, and so they just they started to try and be helpful there in any way they can they could. Um, some really cool things during COVID. They went to the central court. There's like a set of buildings there, and they did balcony bingo with all these people who were like stuck in their apartments, right? And so they would have an amplifier and people come out on their balcony and they'd play bingo with them just to give them something to do. They they did a carol singing, you know, again in the courtyard, people coming out on their balconies and singing. And um, eventually Ottawa, uh, this is in Ottawa and uh, social services is like, we'd love to have like a food bank. Could you guys run it for us? You know, so this church, South East City Church in Alta Vista has taken over all the responsibility for a government-founded food bank that, that serves not only Russell Gardens, but some other communities. Um, and, and it just continues to develop in terms of one-on-one um, -on -one relationships with all that. So uh, refugees, the poor, <clears throat> the addicted, right? Yeah, think of like divine breadcrumbs. It's like know that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go and have that conversation or ask that question. Or just what I'm just gonna take a step. And then maybe there'll be another one. And maybe there'll be another one. So whether it's breadcrumbs or stepping stones or it's it's just yeah. God's the one who knows what's gonna come. So I think there are some beautiful gifts of um, the Millennium's brain or live in. Um, one is, uh, I think, a priority for, for authenticity, a priority for genuine, real, uh, as opposed to successful. Like if you had to say door number one is successful, there's going to be a lot of people around, you're going to have a lot of money, your building's going to look great. Uh, or door number two is um, can't guarantee you those things, but you're going to have you're going to have deep relationship with each other. You're going you're gonna to be known. You're going to know others. You're going to speak in truth and live in truth. The sense millennials are like, well, there, thank you. Whereas boomers and later older generations of Christian leaders, I think, were very enamored about like, of course, yeah, we want this other thing, but this is we want like, show me how to make it successful. That's what I think the other thing that I noticed is um, millennials were saying, like, root me in something. Don't just like, like, I want to be part of this 2000 year story of following Jesus. Don't tell me about the last book that was written for the successful suburban pastor in the United States who's got seven steps to something. No, like, I want to read something deeper. I want to talk about. Um, spiritual depth and 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 that draws it back into the history of the church. So authenticity more historically rooted, um, and oh shoot, there's another one while you were talking. It comes back, but um, I you know I think as well the concern for justice uh, is is something that. The, generation of millennials in the church carries much more naturally than some others have. Like, 
I grew up kind of like um, be nervous about the people who want to talk about justice because what they're going to do is like they're going to pull you away from Jesus and they're going to it's all going to be about the project of improving people's social standing. I think it's like that's a lie. Like yeah, there, there's a whole lot of whole lot in the story of churches that are leaving scripture behind and leaving Jesus behind and all of that. Um, but the, the mistake they were making was not to be concerned for the poor. The concern they were making was not to be concerned for justice. And so, like, I think millennials see that. No, like, I want something that, that I want to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I want to love my neighbor as, as himself. Um, the last thing to say would be much more comfortable living um, on the margins of without believers of coming. I think that's just been a native space that millennials have, have grown up in and been disciples of Christ in is like, is you know, people my age are like, used to be a day. When people, you know, they have uh, church great again. Yeah, let's make church great again. Um, whatever. And yeah, I noticed like with my kids who are in their 20s, they're like, yeah, chill, chill. Uh, like it's okay like you know and it sort of encourages me to go like jesus is big enough for a time when the church is not at the center of power structures and and just we're all reminded like, hey take a breath like paul had no political power um, and and he got himself beaten up you know and, and he planted a bunch of churches and and come to think of it Jesus didn't have political, you know, like it's just like the story we're in is not a story of political power. And we actually have historical evidence that's like when the church has had political power, no weather, not a good thing. So millennials know that and love that. And, and uh, so all that stuff, authenticity, more historically rooted, more historically justice and compassion naturally, out of fear and comfortable on the margins without power. Um, it's exciting. God can really do some stuff with that. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.